Well, once again, it is so good to have you with us in church today. We're going to turn to the Word of God, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles to two places today, Isaiah chapter 59 and Matthew chapter 9. The verses and the passages will be on the screen in just a minute. Uh, They're also available in the notes section in the online church platform. We're in the midst of a year-long series here at Thrive called God Is, and we've been asking the question, who is God? And turning to the Word to understand who He is, to set aside our preconceived ideas and our assumptions that maybe we've picked up along the way, and to look at Scripture through a fresh lens. Not to ask what's in it for me, but to really to discover who does the Bible tell us that God is and that we would understand from his word, his nature, his character and the way that he works in the world. And in this season, as we've now passed the halfway mark of the year, our focus is now on the person of Jesus and the way that he served and that we too would learn to serve like Jesus. And our My message today, I want to focus on what it means to love our neighbors and really more than that, to fight for our neighbors. And I'll define that term neighbor in just uh, a second. I want to tell you that loving your neighbor uh, involves different things. It involves caring for people's needs, that, that we have the opportunity to care for the needs of the people around us. Uh, We're called to give, to be generous to the people that are around us. Uh, We're called to extend our our hearts and our hands to help serve the marginalized, the broken. Uh, Jesus said to, to the least of these that we would be aware of the people in our lives that that need help, that need support, that need encouragement, that need love. But there's an especially important way that we can serve and love our neighbors, and it has to do with fighting for them, that we need to fight for our neighbors, not fight with them, but fight for them. It's not hard to see that we are living in extremely divisive times. I can just tell, and you you can tell as well, that people's nerves are, and emotions are, are, are just completely frayed, that, that people are tired. I don't know about you, but there's just days where I'm tired. I'm physically, emotionally, and, and even spiritually, I just feel depleted and drained as we watch news reports, as we kind of wonder, how long is this all going to go on? Uh, and there's just s- so many people that I talk to, just a general sense of tiredness, And in the midst of that, our defenses come down, or or rather, we become defensive, and and we we miss being gracious and generous with people, and we really come to odds, come to a place of disagreement, and we see it all around us. See, our neighbors don't need us to fight with them. They need us to fight for them. Your neighbor, as Jesus defines it, is is anyone outside of yourself? Of course, it could be your physical neighbor in your neighborhood. But Jesus, in talking about the Good Samaritan, really p- paints that picture and says, hey, listen, the, the, the person who is in need, the person that you see, the person that God lays on your heart, that is your neighbor, that you would identify the people that God is bringing into your life and realize these are my neighbors. These are the people that God is entrusting to me to care for, to reach out to. Isaiah in Isaiah 59 paints a pretty bleak bleak picture 
uh, of what was happening during those times. And here he's prophesying uh, on, on behalf of the Lord. He says this in Isaiah 59, verse, starting in verse 15. He says, yes, truth is gone. And anyone who renounces evil is attacked. The Lord looked and was displeased to find there was no justice. He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm and his justice sustained them. He put on righteousness as his body armor and placed a helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. This incredible picture of, of God in the Old Testament is the prophet Isaiah identifies the, the things that are going wrong in the world around him, that Israel was not doing well. The world was not in a good place. And, and we could probably say, well, we relate to that. We can understand that, that things, things aren't going well on a global scale. And that God is looking and he, he was displeased to find that there was no justice. That there were, people were not fighting for each other. That they were not stepping up for the marginalized. They were not stepping into the gap on behalf of those who couldn't defend themselves. He, and, so, and, and, and he was amazed. I love this. He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with a strong arm. And that is the nature of God. We see this characteristic of God that he takes action, that he doesn't just sit back and watch, that when his heart is moved, when things bother him, when he is stirred up, when, when that, that sense of justice rises up in him, that he moves, that he acts. And so it says that he puts on righteousness as his body armor and place the helmet of salvation on his head. This sounds like Ephesians 6, which definitely uh, Ephesians 6 echoes this passage of Scripture here in Isaiah, where Paul says to the church in Ephesus that we're to put on the whole armor of God. He talks about the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness, that, that God is clothed in a, in a kind of armor, in a kind of battle dress, that he's ready to go to battle. He's ready to fight on the behalf of those who cannot fight for themselves. This is a posture of God that we see in the Old Testament, that God steps in. Jesus then in the New Testament displays the same divine passion. So Isaiah says uh, in verse 17, he says that, that, Jesus, that, that God wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion, and we see in the person of Jesus that, that divine passion embodied Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38 says this, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his field. I've heard this passage preached on so many times and so often it's really a call to missions and a call to evangelism. But I think it goes deeper than that. That we see here Jesus moved with compassion for the people that he sees. 
He, he sees these people. He, he goes through the towns. He goes through the villages. He goes through the synagogues. He goes to the places of worship, to the churches. And he announces the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And he performs miracles. But as he did, as he saw the crowds, as he saw the people lining the streets, the people gathering to hear what he had to say, and I imagine included in that were the people just going about their business. It says, Matthew says that Jesus had compassion on them. He had compassion on them because they were confused and they were helpless. I don't know about you, but there are days where I feel confused. There are days where I feel helpless. There are days where I lack direction. There's days where I struggle to, to see my way ahead, to understand God's call on my life and God's purposes uh, to to be able to dream about the future, even just this week, as announcements were made about uh, education and going back to school. Maybe you have kids that are in the same boat. I find my find my found myself just grieving for my kids and understanding that this next year of school will look very different, and not being able to do anything about it. I felt very helpless. That this is out of my control. As as my kid's father, I. I don't have the ability to just fix this. And I felt helpless in the midst of this. That Jesus sees that, that kind of state. He sees that situation, whether in my life or in your life, or for those that he encountered uh, 2,000 years ago. He sees that and he has compassion. He had compassion because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd that they needed someone to lead them, to direct them. love the 23rd Psalm that says that God is our shepherd and that he leads us besides still waters and he leads us into green pastures and he makes us lie down that at times we need him, really daily, we need him to take us into the places where there's rest and refreshing. And out of this compassion, he then turns to his disciples and he says, the harvest is great, but the workers are are few. And I, and I believe absolutely that Jesus here is talking about the, the harvest of souls, that, that he is absolutely talking about the need for salvation, that we would come to repentance, that we would give our lives to Jesus in, in that way, and that we would surrender our lives. But I don't believe it's all he's talking about. I think there's a depth to this picture that, that we need to unpack a little bit. See, God is sending the disciples out not just to go and, and make converts. He's sending them out to go and make disciples, people who would follow him, surrender their lives to him, live the way that Jesus has called us to live and called them to live so that they in turn could go and, and reach others and love others and care for each other and, and have compassion on one another. And so this harvest isn't just about salvation. It's about a flourishing in the kingdom of God. The picture of a harvest is this, is that you bring in the grain from the fields and it's that grain, it's that wheat that, that gets threshed and it gets crushed and it gets turned into flour and out of that bread is made. And in fact, just in a few minutes, we'll break bread together, we'll receive communion. It's a picture uh, of the bread, the sustenance, the life that God brings. It's a picture of thriving 
And so God calls us to, to go. He tells the disciples and he encourages us to say, go, go out, go out into the fields and, and bring in the harvest so that people's lives would flourish. Yes, that they would come to salvation, but so much more that they would uh, have lives that would just absolutely overflow. See, Jesus' heart ached for people his heart ached for the lost. He, his heart ached for those who were helpless. His heart ached for those who were marginalized. His heart ached for those who, who were confused. They had problems that they couldn't fix by themselves. And he knew that he had what they needed. It was for these people and for us that Jesus came to earth to seek and save that which was lost. That's why he came. And so we're reminded in John 10, 10 that, uh, that Jesus says this, that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, that God's desire for you and his desire for me is that we would have lives that overflow, that lives that abound, lives that thrive. So let's get back to what this means for us. How do we serve like Jesus when it comes to the people around us? Well, first of all, we have to see them. We have to see the people that God is putting in our lives, the people that he has entrusted to our care, the ones that he has said, these are your neighbors. Recently, I was at the beach with my cousin, John. John is an Alley County lifeguard and has worked in that that profession since he was a teenager and going to the beach with a lifeguard is kind of fun because you get to sit and watch what he sees you get to kind of see through his eyes and um, as you could imagine as a lifeguard even when he's at the beach just hanging out uh, his his eyes are on he's his senses are tingling and it was amazing to watch him as he watched the beach, as he watched the water, as he identified swimmers that would be in trouble. And um, so I just started asking him questions. I, you know, like, tell me about what you do. What, what goes into, uh, you know, getting a lifeguard to leave their tower and run into the water? What is it that you're looking for? And so he started pointing out different people in the water. And he said, well, in, in that case, you, you see someone who takes a couple of strokes and then their head goes under and they'll come back up and take a couple of strokes and the head goes under and that's that's usually a sign of trouble or a surfer or a boogie boarder who's uh, swimming next to their boogie board or surfboard instead of being on top of it that is a that's a sign that someone may in trouble be in trouble and and so he starts helping me to see what he sees things that I in all the years that I've gone to the beach would never have seen because I don't have the lens I don't have the the framework to see what he sees. I didn't have the understanding or the training to see what he sees. But now all of a sudden, I'm spotting people in the water thinking, oh, they might be in trouble. They might be in trouble. And understanding then those moments when the lifeguard would come out of the tower and swim out and help someone who was in distress. You see, we have to have the eyes of Jesus who sees people the way that a lifeguard would see people at the beach. That we would see people not through our own eyes because the, the reality is we miss stuff. We miss obvious things. We think, well, people are okay. They're doing fine. Everything's okay. Yet if we were to look back, if we were to step back and say, God, how do you see them? What do you see happening? 
that Jesus would see something very different, that his heart of compassion would be stirred for people, and that he would stir our hearts in the same way for the people in our lives. And so one of the ways that we can serve our neighbors is to take a stand for them, to take a stand, to fight for them. See, you've been equipped for battle. You've been equipped for battle. Jesus identifies in John 10.10 the enemy. The enemy, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to rob life. He wants to destroy lives and marriages and relationships and and families and and children. He just wants to rip it all apart. And we understand that we live in the midst of a battleground. Wherever you are, wherever you're watching this message from, know this, that you are smack dab in the center of a battlefield. There is a battle waging around you and that God has put you in that place. And so like in Isaiah 59, where Isaiah says that God has put on this helmet of salvation and this breastplate of righteousness and he's clothed himself in these robes of divine passion. Paul now says to us in Ephesians 6 that we can take on these tools, that we can put on these armor, this armor. So in Ephesians 6, verse 13, it says, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. And he goes on to unpack that more fully. But I want us to understand this. I want us to capture this. That, that God goes from Isaiah 59, where he is the one who is extending that hand of salvation, of, of, of uh, justice, it, that he is stepping in, that he is taking action. That, and then Jesus shows us this picture in Matthew where he says, hey, I'm calling you. I see the people. I see the needs. I have compassion, but I'm calling you to go. And I believe today that he would call to us and say, how are you taking action? Where are you fighting for your neighbor? Again, not fighting with your neighbor. Where are you fighting for your neighbor? Whether that's looking at the people on your Facebook feed or your Facebook friends or whatever social media, or if it's the people in your neighborhood or the people that you get to interact with, the people who are part of this church, that we would be fighting for each other that we would have compassion, that we would not be, at ba- be battling with each other. And so God says, hey, I'm giving you the armor. I'm giving the tool, you the tools that you need. I'm, I'm going to give you the framework, the lens that you need, just like a lifeguard has been trained to see people in trouble, people in distress, and then to act. That God has called us and said, I'm, I'm equipping you by my Holy Spirit to be able to see people to see them the way I see them, to be a neighbor to them, to extend love and grace and compassion to them, to help them in their times of distress and need. Paul, by the way, says that our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, that the enemy is coming against the people that you care about, the people that that are in your life, the people that your life is connected to, that the enemy is daily coming against them, and that God has called us to go to battle for them, and that we can pray, that we can take our stand in prayer, that we can intercede for the people in our lives, that God would, that his purposes would be revealed, that they would have rest and provision and safety, 
and that we can extend an arm and a hand of compassion and love on them and encourage them, encourage them. And so we need to be ready for battle. We need to be ready for action because God has called us to be a people of action because he is a God of action. Be ready to take your stand in your home, at the grocery store, at work, whatever, whatever that looks like, wherever you go, that you would take your stand for the kingdom of God that you would ask Jesus, Lord, help me to see people the way that you see them. And then when he brings the revelation, that you would act on it. I know that there are so many people who, who, who God is putting in your path, who's putting on your heart, not just to think about them and definitely to pray about, pray for them, but maybe even to reach out to them with a word of encouragement. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to quicken us, to empower us so that we would be able to discern that in prayer we can take authority over the enemy, that we can pray in the spirit, that we can, we can contend for the people in our lives and that we can ask for discernment. What does that mean? It means that we would say, Jesus, help me to see what you see. God, who is it in my life that needs a lifeline? Who is it in my life that needs me to move into action Who are the people that you're dispatching me to, sending me to, to rescue, to love on, to care for? Who are the people who are helpless and confused and struggling that God would call you to reach out to? And so I want to encourage you this week. Here's the assignment for this week. This this message comes with an assignment. Would you pray this week and would you ask the Lord to put on your heart the names of three people? And if you want to do more than three, that's fine. But, but I'm going to ask, would you pray and ask the Lord to put on your heart the names of three people that you can pray for and then at some point this week actually reach out, whether a phone call or a text message, whatever way is convenient for you, to reach out to them and to encourage them, to ask them, how could I pray for you? Hey, you've been on my heart. What's going on? Do you just need someone to talk to? And watch as the Lord will stir on your heart. Can I just tell you, I, I just, I, I want to lock eyes with you through the camera, through the screen. I want to lock eyes with you that God will empower you and use you to have an impact in the lives of people that he wants to touch, that through your life that he will bring about an impact. And so would you join me in praying and asking God, Lord, who are three people? Who are three people? that I can reach out to. And I'm going to encourage you to pray beyond kind of your normal circle, the normal uh, kind of circle of contact that you have. Allow God to stretch you in that and see what he does as we walk in obedience to him. Let's see people the way that God sees them. See, because he knows the ones that are going under. He knows the ones who are struggling and he wants to send you to be a blessing to them. Maybe you're on the other side of that. Maybe you're struggling. And I want to encourage you, don't suffer in silence. If you need someone to talk to, please reach out. You can reach out to us here at the church. Uh, You can fill out a prayer request, just prayer at thriveglendora.org or click the button above or or reach out to someone who can encourage you that you're, you're you're not called to go it alone that there are people that care about you and love you. We care about you. 
and we love you, and we would love the opportunity to encourage you. I want to close today with a couple of things. First of all, I want to invite anyone who's listening to this message and watching this message today who's not surrendered their lives to Jesus. Maybe you've heard the things that I've said today. You've heard about Jesus coming to seek and save the lost, and maybe you're wondering, am I lost? Do I have a relationship with Jesus? If that's a question you would have, I want to answer that question very simply for you. Yes, you can, and it's extremely easy to do. You just have to ask. And so if that's you, if you would like to surrender your life to Jesus, if you would like to ask him to be the Lord of your life, to be your savior, to be your king, to direct your steps, you can do that right now. It involves confessing your sin to him, just asking and repenting and saying, God, I'm sorry for my sin, and then asking him to be your Lord and savior. And so if that's you, I wanna lead you in a short prayer. You can pray that with me. Let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you came to earth to seek and save the lost. I want to give my life to you. I ask you to be my savior. I put my faith and my hope and my trust in you. I repent of my sin and I ask you to forgive me. And I commit to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible tells us that when we call on his name, that we are saved, that he hears from heaven and he reaches down with his, his, that strong arm of salvation that we see in Isaiah 59, that he continues to save. There is a party in heaven right now for everyone who said yes to Jesus. We would love to know if you made a decision to follow Christ today. Would you let us know in the chat section or would you uh, fill out a connect card by clicking the link above and let us know if you made that decision today. We celebrate with you. That's the biggest decision you'll make in your life. I want to turn to communion now. The bread and the cup a representation of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, but the the way of salvation was the cross, a painful, excruciating death on a cross, and that he became the once and for all perfect sacrifice for our sin. The reminder, though, part of the bread is that we, his body, that Jesus' body was given for us, and that then, then we are referred to as the church, as his body, that we are the body of Christ. And so we're part of that harvest. We're part of that, that, that harvest that has been brought in from the field and has been turned into something abundant and life-giving and overflowing. And we are united through the body of Christ. And so, Jesus, we are thankful today for the bread that represents your body that was broken for us that we would have wholeness and healing in every dimension and every part of our lives. Lord, that we would not only be reconciled to you and, and have a healthy relationship with you, but that we would also walk in health with one another. And so, God, I pray as we receive this body that we would remember what it is you've done for us, but also the way that you've called us, Lord, to minister to each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive the bread together. And then the cup. The cup 
is a representation of Jesus' blood, which was shed for us. But Jesus said of the cup that there was a new covenant that he was establishing between God and man. And that covenant was a covenant of compassion, of grace, of mercy, of forgiveness. That we stand forgiven before the Lord. That when we put our faith and trust in him, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans, that nothing would separate us from his love. And the cup is the seal of that covenant. And so Jesus, today we're thankful for the cup. The blood that you shed on our behalf to forgive us of our sin, but Lord, also to seal that covenant. Lord, that we are hidden in you. That you stand before the Father and you make intercession for us. We give you praise. And Lord, just as you intercede for us before the Father, help us, Lord, now to intercede for each other, to go to be your hands and feet because of what you've done for us, that we would be compelled, Lord, to love others well. In Jesus' name, let's receive the cup together. Amen. Well, I encourage you, take time today, this afternoon, even at the end of this message. Would you pause? Would you start asking Jesus, who is it that I need to reach out to? Don't be surprised if those names come quickly. And, uh, and of course, again, you can exceed three. Please feel free to do that. But let's walk that out. Let's, let's be a people of action so that God's heart would not be grieved, that he would be so pleased as his church steps up, as we step out and love each other well. I want to invite you to join us. We have a Zoom call gathering right after church every Sunday. If you'd love to just pop in, for a few minutes and say hi. You're welcome to do that. We'd love to just chat uh, and, and say hello. You can find the link for that at thriveglendora.org and just look for the after service connect. You can click on that link. Pray that you have a wonderful rest of your day and an amazing week. Please pray about who you can invite to church next week. And we look forward to seeing you then. God bless you.